I'm Scott. And I'm Seth. And we are track walking. This is our first podcast together. Very first one that will be fit for human consumption. Which, uh, <laughs> track walking has been, it's kind of been a brainchild of ours for, I would guess, almost a year now. Yeah, year and a little bit because we sort of discussed it. We'll get into this on the show. We sort of discussed it uh, when we were hanging out on one lap of America. Last Literally year. track walking. <laughs> Literally, that is what we were doing. Yeah. And basically, Seth and I, uh, we met actually on the One Lap of America in 2018. And I had known of Seth through a mutual friend of ours, Tim Miller, who is one of the reasons I got into the One Lap of America. And it was right before, uh, the day before we started the one lap, they call it Tekken Registration Day, and the night before we were all gathered around a big table uh, drinking some adult beverages, and uh, Seth started talking, and sure enough, turns out I had actually heard of you before I had met you. That was, it was briefly, I was briefly uh, internet famous, and so uh, a large part of the the car internet world knew who I was. Um, thankfully, most of them have forgotten, uh, because that was a strange time in my life. Um, but I'll go into that. So, so the reason Scott and I know each other is because, of course, One Lap of America. Um, but the reason anyone outside of these these hundred or so drivers that do One Lap of America might know us uh, is for other reasons. Uh, people might know me. I am I am the semi insane person who uh, rebuilt uh, a Mercedes R sixty three AMG engine in my garage. Um, Semi is generous. That's a generous. I, w- I would call you straight insane, but I'll, yeah, I'll go with be, your semi-insane. Yeah, so the whole thing, you can find the build thread on the Grassroots Motorsports forum, or I think if you just type R63 AMG uh, into your favorite search engine, that's sort of the thing that shows up. Um, yeah. Because they built, you know, they only built like 180 of these these big dumb fans during one model year. Um, so there's very few of them out there. Uh, the people that own them are either Mercedes collectors or certifiably insane, and or both. And um, or you've just got a big family and really have somewhere you need to get. Yeah, because you because you decide that you need a 500 horsepower all-wheel drive minivan um, for reasons, and you can, and then you can convince your wife that that's a hundred percent what you need to do. Well, um, apparently it worked. So it worked. So so yeah, I had a van and uh, it blew up. And rather than spend, rather than hand Mercedes fifty thousand dollars for a new motor, uh, like you went was, to the dealer. And said, I went to the dealer, had it towed to the dealer. Uh, AMG uh, is, if you own an AMG vehicle, those of you who are looking at buying like like second-hand luxury vehicles, uh, my dealer is phenomenal. You just called them up and you gave them your VIN and they were like, cool, it's an AMG, we'll send a tow truck. And they, so cool. your towing was free because they were like, we take care of AMG people. Because, because people who buy AMGs love to spend money. Um, I don't so get that with you, my Miata, that's for sure. No, Mazda dealers are a little different, <laughs> uh, his, at least in my experience. So, 
so it, it gets towed in. They they look at it for a day. Uh, they hand me a repair estimate of fifty three thousand dollars, and they laugh at me, and I laugh back at them. And yeah. so uh, I have it towed home. I buy a lift. Um, I install the lift. I take the van apart. Um, it's not as broken you, as it could have been. You bought a lift for this project. Yeah, because there is a point in life where you have made large enough mistakes that <laughs> the way out is to buy a lift. That's amazing. Um, and so I uh, took the motor apart, uh, looked at it, realized it was not as broken as it could have been, uh, ordered the pieces, which takes a while because Mercedes have a lot of pieces. Um if you if you ever get a chance to take apart a modern Mercedes engine, especially if you don't have to put it back together, um, definitely take it apart because they're really really neat. Uh, the engineering behind them is really really cool. Um, the Germans. What's that? Yeah, the, the Germans. Germans. Yeah, they uh, they've got ideas and they follow through with those ideas. Um, so there's a it was it was things like you know like I do a parts order and I'd realize I missed one O ring and so I'd have to do another parts order and I'd go to put it back together and there'd be like a one washer that was missed so it was just like the the degree of specificity that you had to do so and and I documented this all kind of in real time and for some reason uh, yeah. the internet became fascinated with with whether or not I was going to. Uh, succeed or actually make my life worse than i had made it um the the internet loves a good fail story um, yeah <laughs> well and i i love the title of the thread on grassroots motorsports it was i think the the unicorn of my destruction yeah so a little bit tongue-in-cheek uh it was kind of like saying you know what could possibly go wrong buying a second-hand hundred thousand dollar ten-year-old uh mercedes luxury missile i mean really what could go yeah. wrong and apparently basically everything a could lot. go wrong <laughs> a lot <laughs> and so the uh as the as the van exploded, uh, the title of the thread became super hilarious. Yes. So, that, so, so you were so building the engine. Yep. And you finished it? It, it worked. Yep, it fixed worked. it. It fixed it. Worked, fixed it, uh, brought it back to the dealer to... Uh, La laugh at them? Uh, I was like, I, I needed like a transmission service. So the only thing I had them do is the, the transmission, like you can't check the fluid and the procedure for servicing the transmission is really confusing. Like you have to take the pan off, which then dumps six quarts of fluid all simultaneously. Mm -hmm. And then you put the pan back on in the procedure for how, and you have to warm the car up first, so it has to be warm, and then you knock of the course. pan off, and then you put the pan back on, and you do this thing, and you have to put just the right amount of fluid in until it overflows in this one spot, and then you put a plug in, mm -hmm. and you, know, you have to do this all underneath, and A, I didn't really want to do it. And at B... The, at that point, yeah. Well, B, the other thing was I wanted to bring this running van in and just kind of, like, have them eyeball it. Like, you know, because at that point I had talked to the, the AMG Master Tech, and he's a really cool guy. 
and um, I wanted them to to just you know just have him sort of look it over and and he literally I walked in and and he shook my hand and he's like that's amazing that's so cool and and I said I said I want you to look it over and he goes if you drove it here it's fine he said you would have known within the first thirty seconds if you screwed it up or not um, so how how long did this take you? I mean, you were talking about the whole eight months. Eight months from the time I blew it up to the time I was starting it again was eight months. But, you know, there was there was installing the lift in there. There was the first car that was on the lift was a old stage rally car uh, that I had to put back together for our good friend Brian, mm-hmm. uh, which is a whole story. We'll do a podcast on things I fixed for Brian at some point, um, which will be cool. And... Um, yeah. And the the actual work, like from the time I started taking the van apart to when I started again, was about five months. Jeez. Um, I worked slow, uh, which is yeah. kind of how we'll get into this podcast. We have a we have a, a theme uh, that we talk about, which is you know how you do anything is how you do everything. And I think um, we've learned a lot about you already. <laughs> yeah, and so I tend to be uh, thorough and not quick. Um, and also if you were to, to torture yourself by reading the entire build thread, you would also see that, uh, I, I am a storyteller. Uh, yes. I tell a lot of stories, uh, yeah, whether your, it's your posts are long. <laughs> yeah. I'm a wordy guy. So how, how you do anything is how you do everything. So, uh, yeah. so, so that's me. That's, that's yep. why anyone would have heard of me. Um, yep. Easily Googleable. Easily Googleable. But Scott is different yeah, because I... when I met you, <laughs> you were largely anonymous. Yeah, it was. That didn't suck. Um, just, you know, kind of being a anonymity. I, bleh, anyway. Yeah, so Becky and I uh, decided earlier or i guess late in 2017 that we were going to do the one lap of america in 2018 and i had done just a handful of track days before this decision and had jumped kind of both feet in and decided this is something i want to do so the first one lap we did with a completely stock motor 2001 miata completely stock suspension we had brake pads lines and fluid tires and safety you had the cage in it at that point right yes and safety stuff yeah okay. so cage harness seats kind of all that stuff and uh so we went out there air just condi- to air conditioning was gone that first year oh as well, it right? was gone that and that yeah. was <laughs> <laughs> that was a decision because that was a hot year. Yeah. Probably one of the only one lap years in recollection that it did not rain and it was hot everywhere we went. Yeah. Uh yeah, we we actually brief aside, we kept having our phones shut off on us in the car. Uh, driving from one track in one state to uh, the next state and the next track. And just on a whim, I think the week after we got back, we 
we wondered like so at what temperature does an iPhone actually shut off due to heat uh, it's 113 degrees for those of you playing at home that's surprisingly lower than I would have thought for two reasons one I thought thermally they would have handled more and two I would have expected it to be a lot hotter in your car than 113. Um, well, because you guys looked like you were dying every time we saw you. And yeah, I mean, we, we had was, to have the windows cracked. Absolutely had to. Yeah, um, and, we, and I, hate, I hate to laugh about the degree <laughs> of pain. But because we did you, it to ourselves, yeah, because you guys were you guys were lap puppies, and you were like, "Dude, we know how to do this. We're gonna take the AC out," and and you show up to one lap, and there's got to be ninety five percent of the cars that have AC in them. Yes, everybody who is experienced, like who has done one lap more than two or three times, I think Team Unicorn was the only other team that did not have AC. Yeah, there's there's a number of cars that you look at them and they're stripped and they're caged and they're loud and they're horrible. They've got AC because they're not control. idiots. And cruise, and cruise control. control, which we did have. <laughs> that was one thing that we did have. So that does make life nicer. It does. Um, so, so you so still weren't famous. Was, you you did one lap. Still and, not. And one lap doesn't matter. Nobody cares. So we did the one lap. We got, I don't know, out of 72 cars, I think we were fit high 50s, I think, something like that. I'm sure you beat us. I think you've beat us every year. We've done it together. So, <laughs> um, And then uh, the, all that year started uh, or kept driving with Grid Life just in their HPDE program. We're kind of working my way up, learning as much as I could. And then come 2019, and I'll kind of accelerate the story here. 2019, um, Adam Jabay and Scott Giles were like, hey, you should do this new thing called GLTC, the Grid Life Touring Cup, which is a brand new wheel-to-wheel race series. And in my mind, like that was like the five, ten-year plan. And they're like, no, we've seen you on track. Like You're responsible. I think you'd be fine. Yeah, you're fine. It'll be fine. It's, so I sh- showed up to the first track event of last year, which was Mid-Ohio, with Becky and you know all and the street, safety and, stuff. And, and arguably a street car, because yeah. this, this, this car doesn't show up on a trailer. This car tows, tows a trailer. Tows a trailer, yes. Um, so we showed up, and we had the best time (laughs) and now i can't do anything else uh it's kind of ruined me so yes i am but along with that but along with that you weren't just somehow you weren't just uh, a guy who drove gltc you became to a lot of people the guy who drives gltc and not because not because you were winning, and I don't want you to take that the wrong way. I mean, <laughs> we are not winning. But in for for a lot of people, you uh, you embodied what GLTC is and could be, which is you know such an, an approachable way to go wheel to wheel racing with your buddies. Yeah, um, yeah, and we we are the GLTC car that is driven to 
all the events we go to, towing our tire trailer behind us. Um, I can't say I recommend it, but um, that's that's kind of so how we have to idiotic. do things. It's yeah, completely it, idiotic. We all know I, that. Yes. Um, and there, there have been still, some... You, you still don't have air conditioning right, because no. you're farther down the road of making the car. It's uh, worse. Yeah, I've, I've yeah. ruined the car, really. <laughs> it's, it's a trash street car now. And, you know, and there's been other cars that have driven. Uh, Nick Steneford and Brian DeFries notably have driven their car to events. Yep. Um, and... It's just kind of what we've had to do, so we didn't really think much of it. And somehow, last year in October, uh, our fellow drivers, we all voted on who we thought, um, like you said, best embodied the spirit of GLTC. Um, I had I had my vote in, which was not me. Um, and Becky apparently had been given some foreknowledge of this. And we show up to the meeting, and they call my name, and I didn't move because I was so sure of who it was going to be and it was not me. Yeah, because uh, you're just a dude who's mid-pack and uh, raises his car and has fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, but as it but, turns out, that is exactly the spirit of GLTC. So, and the <laughs> so in that same weekend, what may have been even more notable... <laughs> Uh, fame-wise for us was the, the very next day, Seth. The very next day, um, we go back and do two more races at Gingerman at the season finale last year. And this entire year, we had been seeing our friends put slicks on and arrow and go faster and faster and faster. And man, I was, I was just clawing for every tenth of a second out of this car and i'd been fighting it all weekend we're at our home track it's the last event of the year and i'm kind of getting progressively more frustrated and so this last race there's a pack of about four or five cars ahead of me slowing keeping each other just slow enough where if i could really work my butt off i could keep up with them and seth i was working my butt off I've seen the video. I agree. And you were. Uh, it was good. Our, thanks. Well, it was good till it wasn't. And uh, there's <laughs> like this. so many things. Like, <laughs> you, you, you it was all going that. so well. <laughs> you do. You do anything like you do everything. So. Uh. And so we, at Gingerman, turn eight, turn nine. It's kind of this long left-hander. It's the highest speed turn on track. And this particular weekend with drift and everything, there was a line through there that if you weren't in that line, you were hitting some pretty serious marbles from the drifty boys and all that stuff. And everybody in the race had the same track, but this guy got a little anxious and wanted to turn in a little bit early to seven, which turned me in a little bit early to eight and... My back end came around just a little bit, caught it really too quickly, and all of a sudden the car snapped and just pointed off track, and I was along for the ride. Um, even looking back on video, like my hands come off the wheel because 
<laughs> of the bumps and the negative G's that I was doing. Right. Um, and sure enough, the car just lined up and decided it was going to go straight for this porta potty on the outside of turn nine. And, which... and for reference, like a, a bunch of people who are going to listen to this have probably driven Gingerman, so this makes sense to to the people you, who you have haven't... never seen this. Well, no, you, you wouldn't never because nobody this. looks nobody looks that far out. But but for the people who haven't been to Gingerman, the fantastic thing about about the place Scott's talking about is is off that corner, there is it's sort of like an infinite space. It is this plane of green grass that that extends infinitely to the horizon, and nobody's ever like like ships sail off the edge, never to be seen again, and nobody's seen it. And it, not only is it this big infinite space, but there's nothing there. Like you can't hit anything. Like everybody would tell you, if you go off there, safest place to go off because it's impossible to hit anything. Because the only thing way out there, like a thousand miles out there, is this one flag station. Yep. And and the chances, statistically, the chances of hitting that no. are like uh, yeah, they're, they're basically none. Yeah. Basically none. So. But but. As Tell Jesus took the wheel, <laughs> <laughs> and we were, and I, and it had kind of rained the night before, so it's like the grass is wet, so you accelerate as soon as you get on the grass. Um, first thing I saw that I was approaching a flag station and looked, and nobody was there, thankfully, so I didn't have to scare the crap out of anybody else, uh, pun intended. And um, sure enough, I was going straight for it, and I gave her a little bump and uh, <laughs> moved it a, a, a few feet. It's worth seeking this out on, on uh, YouTube for, <laughs> for those of you. Uh, I, I, we, we can probably have, when we do this, we can figure out a way to link uh, both my horrifyingly long build thread <laughs> and uh, Scott's journey into Porta Potty Land. What I have dubbed as the incident. Um, so yeah, that's probably how you might know me, as I'm the guy who hit the porta potty at Gingerman, and Seth is the guy who um, repaired a car you might not have even known existed. Um, and we met and, doing one lap. And we met doing the one lap, and turns out. We we kind of got along pretty well. Um, we did. Now, we've well, never I'm been sure in a, a car sh- together on the one lap, so we don't know how well we get along. I don't think I've ever ridden in a car with you ever. I don't think I've ever been inside an automobile with you. I think that's probably true because we <laughs> only is, see each other on the one lap. Yeah, which is interesting that yeah. uh, we're car right. friends, and I've sat in your car and realized yes. that I don't think I can really touch the pedals um, because uh, when we stand, we, yeah, when we stand next to each other, you're like, oh, Scott's taller than me, but I think like your legs are a foot longer I've, than mine or I've something got long ridiculous. Legs. Yeah, okay. and I don't have long legs. Yeah. You should see me um, in heels. It really makes my legs look long. I would imagine. Yeah. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna think of that now. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, we started talking about these ideas about. I guess what 
what kind of started to really get the juices flowing was this idea of our individual personalities and experiences that we bring off track because the one lap and even grid life and the gltc these people come from all over the place they drive way different cars we've seen minivans race uh, suvs race we've seen old station wagons like old station wagons race and they all come from like these crazy backgrounds but they're all interested in this one stupid hobby that has us all just captivated and to be clear it's completely idiotic what we do yes it's is completely idiotic and i think literally everyone involved in it has that self-awareness yeah i hope so. um which is uh <laughs> which is i think odd sometimes to have a whole bunch of people uh, openly acknowledging this is dumb and I really, really, really want to do it. Yeah, and I don't want to do anything else. <laughs> yeah. And so we started talking about the implications of when you have all these different people uh, interested in this same hobby and how we all do the same thing totally differently. We come at it from just our various and variety of backgrounds and our our angers our anger and our fears and all this stuff plays into how each of us do does it and we've kind of happened upon this quote how you do anything is how you do everything and that has kind of become our hypothesis that we want to test on this podcast because what we found from Seth is that Seth is the kind of madman who would look at a $53,000 AMG bill and decide, I can do this cheaper and just as good. And you go and do it. Um, like, I think that's fascinating. <laughs> because <laughs> not many other people, one, have done that, and two would even think to I mean if I see a $53,000 bill that car is getting sold for like $2,000 or is just going to sit and not do much of anything like I don't think I would have the drive to get that done uh yeah I and, and I can't even I can't even necessarily verbalize why I'm built that way um but I look at you the same way I looked at you. You came on the one lap the first year, and you had done like four track days. Yeah, had, it's about right. Yeah, like four track days, and you had a caged Miata with yeah. no AC and yeah. race seats, and you were like, you were in. Yeah. And and that is mind blowing to me to have somebody look at at a particular event or a lifestyle or whatever this is and be like that i'm going to do that and and you're yeah. in to a phenomenal degree because i don't do that um the first time i did one lap i did it in a stock car like yes. like literally stock brake pads yeah. uh granted it, it was they were good because it was a, a cadillac ctsv wagon so the car was appropriate to run stock 
but even now my one lap car uh is shockingly stock um even kind of compared to your car from the first year yes um because because I don't I really do not approach things like you do so you fascinate me um All right. the the way you do it and and so I think the fact that we find each other interesting intellectually interesting uh has the potential to make our conversations interesting maybe yeah and so all of you listeners don't get the wrong idea it's not just going to be Seth and I fawning over each other and our mutual love and admiration and respect of each other we would although we could that. we we could do that for uh for a moment hours yeah so we have uh topics we have things that we've been talking about over this last year that we want to flush out some more we want to talk about how change affects people on the racetrack and in real life because not all of us deal with sudden, unexpected change the same way. And how do those interact? How does it happen when you're married or when you have a kid for the first time and you're driving? What, what changes there? There's just all these really interesting aspects of driving and of racecraft and teams and all this stuff that um, plays not just one way either right i mean we've talked about right. this before seth with um a story that we can get into uh probably we'll probably need to interview him to get the story but i had my experience at road to america last year that um scared the crap out of me and well it should have and <laughs> <laughs> it's a big track and yet it is just, showed me something about myself that I always knew and didn't really expect it to show its face while I was driving the way that it did. So not only the, and this notion of how you do anything is how you do everything. We think that how, who we are and how we are affects our driving. But we also think the opposite that, if you change ways that you drive or if you learn as you're driving or in the experience of being at a track that that actually affects who you are at the same time so it's it's a two-way street we're actually looking at it's it's very possible to go i want to be this person at the track i want to be better prepared i want to be to deal with adversity calmly and rationally and and have that bleed over into your regular life yeah. as much as you have your regular life bleed over into your racing yeah. um so making yourself a better racer is often uh, a process of making yourself a better person at least we hope so uh, it, that provides some of the rationale for yeah. this <laughs> this insanity that we engage in i think so and to help uh, i kind of already gave it away but uh, to help explore the stories and people that we find uh, not just interesting but have done some work in this area and some soul searching we're going to be interviewing people that we know from grid life from the one lap from track probably even in um, 
uh, some psychological uh, areas, maybe some philosophical areas too, uh, some trainers. I mean, there's there's a, so many people that we're looking forward to talking to soon uh, to get their take and to help us understand this, again, this stupid hobby that we all seem to enjoy so freaking much. I do wonder if sometimes we are trying to create a rationalization. Uh, there's a, <laughs> there, there may be a point where it's, uh, yeah. there, there may be a small voice in the back of my head that goes, my wife is definitely going to listen to this. And if okay. I do a convincing enough argument, she'll be like, yeah, this is a good idea. Yeah. See, they're, they're being so thoughtful about their stupid hobby. Maybe they are grown men after yeah, they're, all. They're not literally just throwing money at things and driving around in circles. I think you can do both. I think you can throw, I think you can just burn money and learn stuff about yourself. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't think that's exclusive because there's certainly there are certainly people I have met people that are playing at a level that's way different than what I'm playing at. I mean, guys yes. who have five and six hundred thousand dollar stacker motorhome things oh, yeah. like like worth you know five times what my house is worth, so that they can go play with cars on the weekend. Yeah, and and these guys literally can be extremely thoughtful, um, patient, uh, really wise people in their relationship with, with racing and how that racing goes back to the rest of their lives. Cause a lot of these, a lot of these guys are very uh, successful businessmen and they feel that their success in business, how they approach business and their success in racing are very linked to each other. Um, because they really do, they, they, em, they embody or at least try to embody that how you do anything is how you do everything. Um, and they're playing on a completely different level than, you know, cost-wise than, than you or Brian DeFries, who's got a race car parked in your garage. And when you go to an event, you, you know, you're, you're throwing the tires on the tire trailer and hopping in the race car and driving to the event. Um, so we've set up a Facebook and Instagram account. We are at Track Walking Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, if you have any questions, any ideas, uh, any feedback for us, those are the places. Of course, if you want to be interviewed, yeah. If you hey, send us, shoot us something. If um, you feel if you feel wise, we might want to talk to you. <laughs> We love uh, confidence. <laughs> yeah, just name it and claim it. So we've uh, feel free to leave a review, subscribe, all that stuff. Um, but but mostly we're just really excited to talk to our friends, our time attackers, drifters, HPDE beginners, motorsports directors. Probably at some point we can wrangle them into this. And I'm um, certainly going to throw some weirdness into it as I bring in uh, motorcycle racers yes. and uh, kart racers because we'll go into this in another show, the, the crazy, twisted uh, path that any motorsports enthusiast takes um, and, like, why you are where you are. Um, yeah. Because we're both doing wheel-to-wheel -wheel racing right now, uh, except I do it on uh, small displacement motorcycles. Yeah, on um, half the wheels. 
on half the wheels. Uh, half the wheels, twice the risk. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I'll, I will get into the 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 world of uh, mini motor racing and why anyone would want to go from a, a nice air conditioned car to putting on half a cow worth of leather when it's 100 degrees and going riding around a children's dirt bike um, yeah. racing often against literal children and getting completely wailed on by them yes. um, because it's all it's all the same it's it's completely different and it's all the same thing so we're going to try to keep the podcast where it's just Seth and I talking about a topic and exploring that. Uh, we're going to try to keep those a little bit shorter bite size for your drive home and the interviews where we just know we're going to have to extend them a little bit longer uh, just to be able to talk to these people and get to know them and try to uh, give them some some space to explain their experiences and their insights that they've learned in their time doing what we're all here to to hear about so we uh we are very excited we've been looking forward to this for a very long time and we're glad that you're you're going to give us a shot i'm glad that people are listening because if you hear us you must actually be listening and uh thank you for especially if they've made it this far <laughs> yeah making it this far into the first podcast or i i imagine it's it's quite likely that uh, this is the sort of podcast that will be listened to by the 25 people that we actually know uh, initially. Awesome. And uh, maybe someday there will be people that we don't know, and they'll uh, look back through the library of podcasts and stumble upon the first episode and wonder uh, where we came from and have this be a little bit of an explanation for uh, what's going on. So you can find us at Track Walking Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. We are also part of the Track Tuned family of podcasts, along with our brothers and sisters, Slip Angle, 10 Tenths Podcast, as well as Time with the Tackers. We're the uh, new tiny, tiny kid on the block, and uh, I, I think that's good. We're excited about this. We're happy. So thank you for joining us, um, for both of us, Scott. And, and Seth. And Seth. Uh, thanks for listening, and we really look forward to what's coming. Thanks for being with us. Bye.